From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to a special episode of Louisiana Considered. I'm Hallie Parker. Most of the time, I'm out reporting for our Coastal Desk, but for today, I'm your host. And first things first, happy Halloween! For today's show, we have a mashup for the ages. We're focused on the intersection of sustainability and All Hallows' Eve. The concept of sustainability has a variety of definitions, but really at its core, it explores the balance needed for people to coexist with the Earth. And later, we'll learn about a Cajun Halloween festival honoring a mythical bayou creature that also preaches a message of conservation amid disaster recovery and Louisiana's land loss crisis. We'll also hear from an urban planner about what the holiday's traditions reveal about the layout of your neighborhood. But first, we talk about Halloween's biggest attraction, costumes. We buy a festive outfit, dress up as witches, celebrities, cops, and ghouls for a day or two, and then where does it go? More often than not, research suggests it eventually goes to the landfill, generating a lot of waste that doesn't break down easily. But one New Orleans nonprofit tries to offer a different option. Earlier, I visited Rick Rack Inc. in Central City to see how they reuse and recycle clothing. Walk into Rick Rack's shop and you're immediately greeted with a rainbow of vibrant fabrics and a couple of friendly faces. It is a place of magic and beauty and color. Liz Freeman Kelly is the nonprofit's executive director, with a background in art and textile reuse. From the entrance, the colorful store splits in half, with one side dedicated to sewing and the other to secondhand clothes. Freeman Kelly shows me around their sewing space. Um, here's some yardage, some beautiful yardage for quilters. We have uh, cones of serger threads. And dye and tassels and trim and... All sorts of sequins and hem adhesive and pom-poms, fake flowers. Plus, we can't forget they have... All sorts of beautiful buttons. Some of these are old, old, old. And some of them are brand new. And on the other side, racks of secondhand clothes and costumes used on shows filmed in New Orleans fill the space. Christina Solis, Rick Rack's resale store manager, gives me a tour, brushing up against the hanging clothes. If you don't sew, there's still stuff here for you as well, so. Um, So over here we have like our costume little corner right now. There's a variety of costumes, from skunks to flapper dresses, to even clothes from the set of the new horror TV series, Interview with a Vampire, not to mention smaller items. You see over here, um, we have a lot of just random notions. Um, There's a crab, there's bloody fingers. (laughs) So you never know what you're going to get. But it's good because we have stuff to make headpieces, stuff to embellish jackets. There's a lot of options, and that's the point. Freeman Kelly and Solace want the community to have an alternative to buying new costumes each year, while helping the city's film community cut down on waste. After getting a tour of the store, I sat down with Freeman Kelly and Solace in their sewing studio to talk about more ways people can avoid throwing away costumes. 
what are some of the best ways that New Orleanians and even, you know, across the state, Louisianans more broadly can try to reduce their waste when it comes to their clothing or costumes? I always tell people to build a costume box, especially if you live in New Orleans, like it is kind of a hub for costumes all the time. So you could be invited to a party on Tuesday and you could run home and get ready if you have a costume box. So just put it together. You can shop all year long. And if you have people in town um, visiting, they have something to throw on to if we're having a parade or if they just want to go out and have a fun night um, in New Orleans. So. Yeah, having a costume box I think is really good and utilizing your friend's costume box and then letting them utilize yours. There's also thinking about like local buy nothing groups. If somebody's done with a costume for the year, utilizing your local buy nothing group, going to thrift stores, thinking about things that already exist. Gotcha. So not necessarily going out there and buying a new costume every time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Especially not those like packaged, pre-packaged. There's just so much waste. And if you think about fast fashion in general, sort of the same rules of fast fashion apply to the way that those like big box Halloween store costumes, it's maybe low wages for workers, maybe low quality, maybe not very sustainable for the environment. So even though that's the easy solution, thinking about creative ways to kind of wean yourself off of that clothing wise I feel like there's often this stigma just in general when it comes to like wearing the same outfit over and over again what do y'all think about that idea of whether you should keep reusing something or not I'm like the queen of reusing everything something could be made over and over like there's no limitation like if you have an imagination sky's the limit so the stigma of like having a new one versus old one like that's just something that you kind of have to get away from and think outside the box like oh this skeleton costume oh I could do this this and this with it and most of the time it will turn out okay and nobody's gonna know that you wore that last Halloween so it's always nice to have like base pieces in your closet and your costume box that you can do those with because if you don't then you are more likely to go buy something new um, so just keeping that in mind um, something can always be something different yeah, and being a proud outfit repeater is something that we talk about here a lot. Like, you have to repeat your outfits if we want to live in a more sustainable world. So what are some of the challenges posed by recycling different types of textiles? So the, we were all taught about the three R's, right? Reduce, reuse, recycle. Well, they're in that order for a reason. So the first should be reducing the amount of material we use, reducing everything that we consume. And then the next R is where rickrack really comes into play and that's reuse. And we are like a creative reuse shop for the community. So we take in fabric, we have uh, clothing donations from film and television. All of the stuff that's in here has already had its own life. And now we're here to give it a place to find its next life. Um, so recycling comes last and that's the thing that we try to that's the thing we try to go to as a last resort. We're not gonna take it apart and turn it into something else unless there's really nothing else that can be done with that. So reuse is really the name of our game here at Rickrack. And we, you know, from the yardage that we get donated to the scrap bin that the kids in the Saturday morning sewing class use, we try to get it down to the tiniest, most minute little piece of fabric before we even think about the process of recycling. And the kids in the Saturday morning class are the best about the reuse. They'll go through the scrap bin, they'll make 
stuffies out of scraps, then stuff them with scraps, then make clothing for their stuffies with the scraps. So we really can get it down to like the tiniest little piece of fabric before we think about it. And then even just in the creative use within the community, we recently partnered with a local boxing gym, Get Your Right Boxing, and we gave them 550 pounds of our unusable scraps and they stuffed their punching bags with them. So trying to find the way to utilize the stuff until it's no longer possible is what we focus on. But we do have a recycling partner in Texas where they can deconstruct it and turn it into something else. Yeah. And it sounds like it takes a while for it to be like for for a fabric to reach the point of no return. Absolutely. Yeah. It really takes quite a lot. There's a lot you can do with just washing or just cutting out that nasty spot or embracing the weird color or Christina is the queen of dyeing things when the time comes to it. (laughs) So it really truly is the smallest R in those three R's. Awesome. Um, And I guess just when it comes to that recycling process though, can anything be recycled that Not anything, I mean, not everything can be recycled. Some things really do have kind of a final last or final resting place in the landfill. And so that's why conscious consumers are are really part of the process, thinking about what you're buying before you buy it. Um, But any, you know, cotton, basically our recycling partner can do almost any material as long as it's not, um, as long as it's not past the point of, no return as far as they're concerned, but they can deconstruct and it'll go into um, padding for car seats. It'll go to rags. Uh, There's a lot that can be done with it once it gets to that point. When it comes to doing resale, are there limitations in how much, how many times it can be repurposed? No. no limitations. Again, like it's your imagination. Like you, it could be anything that you would potentially want it to be. So um, we try to keep everything affordable so everybody can shop with us. But also, you might find a blazer that you could wear to work, and then you know next year it's a blazer for a costume. So yeah, I mean, how does it feel? Like you are a very creative person when it comes to your outfit. So I mean, how does it feel when you get to use this creative energy to just think of new ways to use the same item? I mean, that's why I chose this as like a career path for myself because it is really fun. It's fun to talk to people about how they repurpose stuff and how they reuse their clothes. Um, And it's definitely inspiring and just getting to know your community a little bit more. um, You get more ideas. And then I've been doing this for a long time. So sharing those ideas with other people are important because they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. And even that little small conversation might turn into something bigger down the line. It's like a ripple effect. You're listening to Louisiana Considered from WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Hallie Parker. Closer to the state's coast, HOMA's Rougarou Festival welcomed thousands of locals and out-of-state travelers to experience a Halloween celebration reflective of South Louisiana's unique Cajun culture and heritage. Named after the legendary bayou creature that has the head of a wolf and the body of a human, the Rougarou Fest doesn't just spotlight the bewitching and scary, but the coastal Descasia Sichuan reports there's an environmental mission as well. That's the excitement attendees kept an eye out for at the Rougarou Parade. With costumes made of local materials, moss and oyster shells, for example, 
to bayou boats turned into decorated floats and moves from the Rougarou witches' dance crew. Earlier in the day, attendee Stuart Chasson from Homa wowed the crowd with his rendition of a tree spirit at the costume contest. Look at the detail in this. He's a tree creature, you guys. Now that's what I call creative. Yeah, it's got like the, the stilts for construction work, for sheet rock on, the, on my legs, and then I built some homemade crutches that was tall enough so I can lean over to like a 90 degree and walk like an animal, you know, so that's why it came in, so. And Chiasson said that his tree spirit is protective of the environment he draws inspiration from. Well, I'm, I worked in the swamps all of my life and, uh, you know, all field and stuff. And so it's, you know, it's part of my history, my nature, you know, you know nationality stuff, you know, Cajun, you know. So it's, uh, when they say the Rougarou, it's part of a background, you know. Each year, the Rougarou Fest aims to raise awareness for Louisiana's disappearing coast and fundraises money for the South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center. And the programming for the weekend was a balancing act of serious and silly, from a discussion on mental health after hurricanes to having Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser pardon Beignet the Nutria, an invasive species to the area, but he also acts as the Wetland Center's mascot. Since 2018, Beignet the Nutria, that's you, the Wetlands Discovery Center official Nutria has been pardoned each year in order to keep him safe from the hunters who continue to help, and he continues to help, our students about the importance of Louisiana wetlands. On October 22nd, 2022, Beignet, the Nutria, should once again be declared free to live in the peace and continue to educate the people of Louisiana. Therefore, I, Billy Nungesser, by the authority vested in me as Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Louisiana, to hereby issue Benye the Nutria pardon once again. Congratulations. The Riguru Festival was also set up to be environmentally conscious, with reusable, recyclable, or compostable materials being used throughout the event, according to South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center program manager Samantha Hicks. So we do have a plan. We um, have a about a five-year plan and effort to go completely zero waste. So we're kind of in the middle of that right now. We know it's going to take us a few more years to find the right alternatives and to be able to shift completely to compostable and to be able to recycle any plastic that we do produce. But we are moving in the right direction and each year we try to move a step closer to that zero waste goal. Out among thousands of attendees throughout the day, Nevaeh Tolbert posed for photos with her bearded dragons, and she said she was ready to eat Cajun specialties, shop from local vendors, and spend time with their family. And it's fun. And I mean, I grew up on the bayou, really, so you just love to see everybody having fun and being friendly and just having a good time. And as the festival wound down, organizers hoped that one message remained clear that the area's culture can't be celebrated if the land is lost. In Homa, I'm Kezia Satyawan.
rocking over digging the sound. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Hallie Parker. They pay the monster man. Most people are very familiar with trick-or-treating, but have you heard of the trick-or-treat test? The idea behind the test is simple. On Halloween night, kids and parents have a pretty good idea of what makes a great place to trick-or-treat. They know to go where houses are close together, front doors are near the street, and cars drive slowly. And that's why many urban planners tend to like Halloween, too. The same things that make a neighborhood great for getting lots of candy also make them safe and walkable. To learn more, our New Orleans reporter Carly Berlin sat down with Matt Rufo, an urban planner and Board of Zoning Adjustments Commissioner in New Orleans. Here's their conversation. So tell us a little more about what the trick-or-treat test is and why urban planners like it. The, the trick-or-treat test is, is a fun way to measure how good your neighborhood or how good any neighborhood is for getting a lot of candy, which for kids is pretty important on Halloween, but it's also a good sign of every other day of the year how good a neighborhood is for walking around and knowing, getting to know your neighbors and, uh, and having a sense of community because uh, the things that make a, a street really good for hitting up a lot of doors one after another for candy also makes it good every other day of the year for, uh, like I said, um, uh, getting to know your neighbors. So what does Halloween reveal to us about the safety or sometimes lack of safety mm-hmm. for, for kids and other people walking on our streets? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Halloween, you know, for me growing up, it was my favorite holiday of the year because you got to get out and see your neighbors and get to know and meet people. And so but for a lot of folks, um, you know, Halloween's one of the few days of the year where um, you've got the whole neighborhood out and about walking around. Um, you know, a lot of neighborhoods, people are relying on their cars to get to school, to get to the playground, to uh, and for parents to get to work. And so uh, Halloween is a great time for people to, yeah, just kind of uncover what issues or what challenges there may be uh, in their neighborhood. There may be a certain intersection where cars are not really used to seeing people cross the street that often and they uh, don't yield to pedestrians. And uh, on a night like Halloween, you're all of a sudden going to see a lot more people out and about. And uh, those people out and about are going to better understand what traffic challenges are are in their neighborhood. So it's really a good time, actually, to kind of get in touch with, um, you know, ways to make your neighborhood a little bit um, safer and um, and more hospitable for people going on on walks. And, and hopefully, um, you know, people on their their evening walks or on their their trick or treating uh, will understand that, uh, you know, that there are great places to, to walk in our neighborhoods and that um, you know, they may cover some issues like a, a street light that's out or uh, perhaps a particular sidewalk is, is missing. And those are good uh, opportunities to, um, uh, you know, get in touch with uh, those are good reminders that uh, there is uh, there are people out there that can that can help solve these problems, certainly at City Hall. You know, for people listening, help us understand, you know, some of these design qualities you're talking about that help make a street safer mm-hmm. for for all people using a road. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, streets that 
have low traffic speeds and low traffic volumes tend to be safer for everyone, even the people driving the cars, certainly. So uh, when planning neighborhood streets for, for families, we certainly like to see uh, good wide sidewalks separated from uh, from uh, cars uh, by, uh, by trees and by landscaping. Uh, we like to see uh, intersections with really tight corners so cars can't just breeze around them really quickly. Uh, we like to see also uh, really, really good crosswalks, uh, high visibility striping, um, um, uh, pedestrian signals in certain busy, uh, a lot of our neighborhoods are blessed with uh, really good access to, to retail corridors, but some of those retail streets create a lot of traffic and uh, a lot of hazards. And so um, the infrastructure um, uh, is certainly available to be put into place. Um, it's just a matter of the choices we make uh, in terms of who we're prioritizing. And so a lot more neighborhoods these days are um, you know, realizing that the way they've been designed was to prioritize people driving and doing it quickly. Uh, and they're coming to realize this has had a you know, negative impact on their quality of life because it isn't uh, attractive or safe to to walk around their neighborhoods. And so a lot of neighborhoods you're seeing now are are doing what they're called uh, retrofits or road diets. These are, are measures uh, that can be taken to slow down traffic and give a little bit more comfort and priority to people who are, who are walking and biking. We've been, you know, talking a lot about these design qualities that make neighborhoods great for trick-or-treating and living in year-round. But what are some of the other factors that, you know, you think about when kind of creating neighborhoods that are safe and comfortable for everyone? Sure, sure. So something that applies great for, for trick-or-treating is designing homes so that the front door faces the sidewalk. It sounds uh, pretty, like, common sense and pretty obvious thing to do, but there are so many homes out there today that are designed uh, with a big old garage right out front, and sometimes you can't even see the front door from the street. Uh, and so, um, and these homes that are built on much larger lots uh, tend to be a little bit farther apart from each other, and again, and not great for trick-or-treating. It takes a lot longer to go door-to-door. -door. Um, and uh, and then the rest of the year, yeah, they're great for, for more privacy, but uh, that privacy can come at expense, which is getting to know, just knowing who your neighbors are and seeing them um, and having that sense of, of greater community from uh, getting to know who, who lives around you. I know you've got a couple of young trick-or-treaters yes. yourself. Do they have any favorite spots around town? Oh, yeah. We love going down to places like Faubourg St. John. They have a great block party. Uh, this year, I think we may go down to the Halloween Spectacular on the Lafitte Greenway. You know, you don't need to go door to door necessarily, especially in New Orleans. There's so many great places, uh, parks and neighborhood block parties where uh, you don't even have to worry about the traffic because uh, a street will be closed down and uh, it creates a great atmosphere. Matt Rufo is an urban planner in New Orleans. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. You've been listening to a special episode of Louisiana Considered, brought to you by our Coastal Desk for WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Helly Parker. 
Thanks to our guests, Liz Freeman Kelly and Christina Solis with Rick Rack Inc. in New Orleans, Coastal Desk reporter Kezia Sitiawan, urban planner Mark Rufo, and New Orleans reporter Carly Berlin. Today's episode was managed and produced by Patrick Madden and Alana Schreiber. Our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz, and our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Abby Purcell, and Thomas Walsh. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's also available on Spotify, Google Play, and really wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered is provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Southern Strategy Group. The Coastal Desk is supported by the Greater New Orleans Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation, the Moreau Foundation, and local listeners like you. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Historic New Orleans Collection.